0: The following program contains content that is not suitable for children. Listener discretion is advised. And now, coming to you from an undisclosed location. Three, two, one. It's the Novos Ordo Watch TrapCast. You've gotta be kidding. Mm. Mm. You can't make the stuff up. And here we are once again, ready for another Tratcast. Welcome to episode 14, ladies and gentlemen, and I know, I know, I know this episode is really, really late, but better late than never, right? So here we are, I've put the show together, you're listening, everything's good. There is so much we could talk about today, it's not even funny, but we'll have to restrict ourselves to just a few of the latest Francis Whoppers. You know, just as I was going to talk about the bombshell on marriage, Francis comes out and says Catholics must apologize to homo perverts for having marginalized instead of accompanied them. And he also said that Martin Luther was right on justification and that Catholics hold the Lutheran view on that. And meanwhile, Archbishop Georg Genswein had gone on record saying that with his resignation in 2013... Benedict XVI had not really taken a step back from the papacy, but merely a step to the side, so to speak, and was now the contemplative part of a two-member papacy in which Francis plays the active role. And all of this happened not too long after Francis preached a sermon in which he said that black and white morality is heretical. You can't make the stuff up. Really, it's chaos all around. If we had put a secret set of accountants into the Vatican who tells Francis what to say, I don't think he could have done a better job. Francis is so obviously not a valid pope that I don't know what else he'd have to do to prove it that he hasn't already done. And now black and white morality is heretical. See, no more right and wrong. It's it's too black and white. only have gray now. Comes in 50 shades, I believe. Anyway, we'll get to France's more in depth uh, in just a minute. But first, a quick update on an internal matter. And this will explain why you've had to wait over two months to get a new Tradcast. Okay, we're currently putting the finishing touches on a completely redesigned brand new website. That's right. The Sorta Watch you've come to know and love will soon look entirely different, and it'll be so much better in a bazillion different ways. First and foremost, you'll actually be able to easily find stuff, okay? Everything will be uh, properly categorized. You'll have a nice streamlined menu interface. There'll be a, a tag cloud so you can easily find posts by topic. It'll be easy to see what the latest posts are on the wire, and so on. Also, the website will be optimized for viewing on all devices. So no matter what you use, whether a desktop PC, a laptop, tablet, phone, iPad, whatever, it'll look great. It'll have a really professional look to it, and uh, we're going to add a lot more content as well. So there, you have something to... Really look forward to. And no, I am not going to commit to an official launch date. And you know why? Because if the past is any indication, I'm going to get it wrong anyway. So I'll just say soon. Okay, You're going to log on one day and you'll find out that there is a new Novus Ordo watch. We'll probably have to take the entire site offline for a day or two uh, on a weekend to make the necessary Upgrades, and uh, if that happens, of course, we're going to announce that ahead of time. But it'll definitely be a very nice surprise when you see it. And once the new website is launched and all the bugs have been fixed and everything is working right, then we can finally move on with things and get back full throttle to responding to John Salza and Robert cisco on the side of Acantism. And boy, am I looking forward to that. So, Be happy. Be grateful. There will be a new website soon. Tradcast. But now, on to the real business. It's been well over three years now that Jorge Bergoglio has been playing Pope Francis in the Vatican... And I'm going to ask you to try to recall those early days when Francis was first starting to act the way he does and say all those crazy, blasphemous, and heretical things when he started with the interviews right after World Youth Day in Rio and uh, put the beach ball on the altar and all that. Okay, Remember that? And remember how you had all those Novus Ordo Experts across the internet telling you all these things about ooh bad translation and what the pope really said or uh, what the pope really meant and reading Francis through Benedict and all that jazz and then a bit later even articles about ooh um what the pope is really up to and so forth. We told you back then that. All this supposed expert talk was nothing but a bunch of hooey. And now, look, who was right? What was all that supposed expert analysis worth? Nothing. Francis got worse and worse by the day. So, in short, after three years, Novus Ordo Watch stands vindicated. All the mainstream Ordo commenters who were busy spinning Francis' words and actions into some semblance of orthodoxy were proven wrong, and we were right. Now, I just want to point that out because this is important. This is a battle for souls. It's a battle for truth. A battle for the true Catholic faith. It's a battle for the glory of Almighty God. So do not listen to those who don't give you the straight scoop and instead spin, or those who perhaps mean well but who have proven time and again that their analysis of church affairs is worthless or not credible. Look, the situation with Francis is so bad now that even Robert Moynihan's Inside the Vatican magazine has printed a letter to the editor in its latest issue, that explicitly calls Francis a heretic and disputes the validity of his papacy. Let me quote it to you. I have it right here. You can find this on page 10 of the current issue of Inside the Vatican, which is the June-July issue of 2016. Here's what the letter says. I'm going to quote it in full. The uh, title that the editor gave the letter is On Pope Francis. And here's what the letter says, quote, After reading your recent letter, I must disagree with your analysis concerning the novelties of Francis and his rebranding of the Catholic faith. In the letter, you suggest that the heterodox statements made by Francis over the past 38 months merely represent a repackaging of the Catholic faith in a softer, more compassionate way. You also state that there is no revolution in dogma because the statements only address non-doctrinal issues. Even a charitable review of his administration will reveal that this is demonstrably false. He's most definitely not addressing non-doctrinal issues or presenting the Catholic faith in a more attractive package. Each of these forays into the world of modernism represents either an explicit or implicit denial of some particular article of faith. And while he has not declared any of this nonsense to be binding upon the faithful through solemn proclamations, it doesn't mean that he is not leading Catholics and non-Catholics alike into error. How can Francis be making so many fundamental errors? There is an idea being promoted by many Catholic journalists and apologists that Francis is simply misunderstood. But is he introducing error and ambiguity out of malice or ignorance? Is he just some unfortunate but well-meaning soul who is completely ill-suited to his post and its responsibilities? Or does he know full well what he is doing, and is therefore formally leading the faithful into error? Would the Holy Ghost allow a true Pope, whom he is supposed to be guiding and protecting, to purposely lead the body of Christ to ruin? So, what is to be done? Only those members of the College of Bishops who truly belong to our Lord Jesus Christ can discover the truth about what has transpired over the past several years and only then if they can summon the courage to do what needs to be done during this time of crisis and resolve to set things right. If Francis is found to be a usurper who has been placed upon the chair of Peter for the purpose of destroying the faith, he needs to be removed. And this is something that needs to be done soon, because contrary to the musings of Francis the Humble, Jesus Christ is both merciful and just. If we do not repent and return to him, how long will it be before we experience his just wrath? Unquote. That was the letter to the editor printed on page 10 of the uh, the June-July 2016 issue of Inside the Vatican. The author of this letter to the editor is one Scott Montgomery. And I think it's absolutely incredible that uh, Inside the Vatican... Uh, not only would receive that, but would actually print it. So that gives you a pretty good idea of how bad things have gotten. I mean, five years ago, a letter like this being published in Inside the Vatican, I think would have been unthinkable. We said before that it looks as though Francis is deliberately trying to provoke a schism within the new church. His words and his actions are so clearly anti-Catholic, and his attitude is so clearly one of pertinacity that a reasonable mind must conclude that what he says and does is deliberate. So, the question is, why would he be doing that? Sure, he wants to destroy Catholicism as much as possible. We know that, but doing it so obviously... Is typically not a very smart strategy. I mean, if you look at Francis' five predecessors, from John the 23rd all the way through Benedict the 16th, you can see that they also caused a whole lot of damage to the Catholic faith, and yet they were not nearly as blunt about it as Francis is. So, again, the question is why? Why do it so openly that any thinking human being, even remotely familiar with Catholicism, would catch on? Now, while I don't know the answer, we do have a theory here, and it's one we've mentioned a few times on the Novus Ordo Wire blog and on Twitter. The idea is precisely to cause a schism in the Novus Ordo sect, in which the conservatives, so-called separate from Francis and his liberal allies, and it's not completely unthinkable that the conservatives would rally behind Benedict the Sixteenth as the true pope. And, and in fact, that idea is gaining in popularity these days. Uh, we've called it resignationism—the idea that Benedict the Sixteenth is, in fact, the pope at this very time. But. Regardless, the conservatives would uh, rally either behind Benedict or some other big figure who would be willing to oppose Francis. Perhaps, I don't know, an Athanasius Schneider or Angelo Scola or Gerhard Müller. Okay? No, not, not Raymond Burke. He's, he's done. Okay? I mean, his comments on Amoris Letizia were so soft that you could see that that man has a toothpick for a spine. Okay? Anyway, if the Vatican II Church splits into two camps, one that is conservative, a la Benedict XVI, and the other camp liberal, like Francis, then the modernists would have succeeded in making the conservatives believe that they have escaped the great modernist deception with its anti pope. See, they will then think that by adhering to Benedict or some other anti Francis leader, they will have escaped the modernist attack on the church and be on the safe side. And that would really be the ultimate deception. It would be a deception within a deception in order to control the opposition. In other words, as long as Novus Ordo adherents still believe in the Novus Ordo church— then it won't matter whether they adhere to Francis or to Benedict or some other such Novos Ordo leader. Either way, they're still in the new church and still adhering to Novos Ordo doctrine. And that's all that matters. I mean, basically, whatever it takes to keep people from becoming sede vacantist, That's what the modernist powers that be really want. And if it takes a schism within the new church to ensure it, then so be it for them. So I just want to mention this theory because I want people to be informed about this ahead of time, before it happens, so that in case it does happen, they can see through it. We did the same thing with Benedict XVI in 2005, by the way. A month after his election, we predicted that he would bend over backwards to make traditionalists feel accepted in his church and that he would freely permit once again the use of the 1962 Missal, right? What they call the traditional Latin Mass, even somewhat incorrectly, but that's not the point now. Um, So we'll put a link to that prediction in the show notes for this episode, episode 14, so you can find it there and read the prediction we made in May of 2005 for yourself. And we made that prediction so that people would not fall for the ruse when it happened, but unfortunately, many, many people did still fall for it. Anyway... One thing is for sure. The situation with two quasi-popes in the Vatican is going to provide chaos, speculation, and entertainment for years to come. And now, speaking of entertainment, let's finally go to Francis. Come on, this is the cue for our special Francis jingle. One second, please. There we go. From the Jorge's Mouth. Yep, the ever moving Bergolian tongue has once again brought chaos, outrage, scandal, and confusion to countless souls. And that's exactly why we call him Chaos Frank. No doubt you've heard about it by now, so this won't need too much of an introduction. And we wrote a nice blog post on it that we're linking to in our show notes, but. Basically, what happened is that on June 16th, Francis spoke at the opening of the Pastoral Congress of the Diocese of Rome. Francis took questions from his audience there, and one gentleman asked what could be done to educate young people about love and holy matrimony, so as to encourage them to overcome their fears and get married. As part of his answer to the question, Francis said the following. Now make sure you're sitting down. Quote, The great majority of our sacramental marriages are null because they say, yes, for the rest of my life, but they don't know what they are saying because they have a different culture. They say it, they have goodwill, but they don't know. They don't know that it's indissoluble. They don't know that it's for your entire life. It's hard. Unquote. Now, wait, because this isn't the worst yet. Francis then talked about cohabitation, meaning living together in a sexual relationship without being married, and he said this, quote, I've seen a lot of fidelity in these cohabitations, and I am sure that this is a real marriage. They have the grace of a real marriage because of their fidelity, unquote. Wow. The Pope means exactly what he says. Oh, yeah. Thank you for that little reminder there, Michael Vorce. Folks, as you can imagine, this caused quite a stir around the globe, both in the secular and in the Novus Sardo press. And we're going to look at various reactions in a minute. But first, let's do our own quick analysis here. Number one, the claim that most marriages are invalid today because people don't understand indissolubility. That claim is laughable beyond belief. Now, the day after Francis said that, the Vatican went into damage control mode and said that the Pope had approved a revision to the transcript and they changed the wording from great majority of our sacramental marriages being null to a part of our sacramental marriages being null. And they claimed that Francis told them that this is what he had actually meant to say. Now, I don't believe that. Because Francis had said before that he believes half of all marriages to be invalid. You can see that, for example, in the interview Cardinal Walter Kasper gave in 2014, where he mentions that Francis told him that. And we're linking that interview in our show notes so you can review it for yourself. But what Kasper said there is credible information because in 2013, Francis already Hinted at this when he talked about the topic during his first ever on plane press conference on his flight back to Rome from World Youth Day in Brazil. There he quoted uh, Cardinal Quaracino saying that half of all marriages were invalid, and he appeared to endorse that, or at least he didn't contradict or criticize it. So I don't buy the whole thing about, ooh, he didn't mean most marriages, he meant just some. But really, it doesn't actually matter how many marriages Francis thinks are invalid for reasons of not understanding indissolubility. That's totally peripheral. The real problem is that he believes that not understanding indissolubility can invalidate a marriage. That is the big concern. Whether he thinks it's affecting half or all or most or just a few marriages— is practically irrelevant. Now, regarding the issue of indissolubility, we demonstrate very nicely in our blog post on this what Catholic teaching and canon law say on the matter. So, I'm not going to repeat the whole blog post, but I do want to provide uh, some quotes from Father Henry Aranac, uh, who was professor of canon law, At uh, St. Patrick's Seminary in Menlo, California. Here's what Father Aranac writes in his commentary on the Code of Canon Law A simple error as to the unity, indissolubility, or sacramental character of marriage, even if it be because of the contract, does not vitiate the consent. Error as to the essential object of the contract vitiates the consent like ignorance. Error as to the essential properties does not, as long as it remains simply an error of the mind, whether antecedent or concomitant. Thus, a man who intends to form a real contract of marriage, although he does not believe in its indissolubility or sacredness, will be married validly, provided he does not exclude those properties by a positive act of the will, even though he would exclude them if he thought of it, unquote. Did you hear that? That was the sound of Bergoglio's entire case imploding. By the way, the same Father Aranac, whom we just quoted, also says later in, in the same book that, quote, nobody is to be considered as having said what was not on his mind unquote meaning of course that if you say until death do us part in your marriage vow then it is presumed that you meant until death do us part if you did not mean what you said but positively meant the opposite then it's true that there was no valid marriage but you would have to prove that and not simply make the claim before you could get an annulment. Anyway, you can find the quotations from Father Aronek and lots more in our blog post on this topic, and uh, that is linked in our show notes. So, once again, Francis has caused tremendous damage. He has just ensured that there will be an additional deluge of annulment requests now, which uh, with his new regulations concerning annulments from last year should be approved in a jiffy and uh, be completely free of charge. So this is actually a blessing of adultery the Francis way. And who knows how many marriages, how many families that were hanging by a thread are now being pushed over the edge with the stupid claim about indissolubility and the stupid comment that most marriages are invalid. Because regardless of the revision of the transcript, and whether he really meant most or only some, the fact remains that the media reported far and wide what he actually said, and that was most, not some. And that is what the public at large got to hear. See, this is one reason we know that Francis is pertinacious and not innocent or in good faith. Because anyone who is in good faith and genuinely seeks to promote sound doctrine and the salvation of souls would, after a disastrous comment like that, immediately guard his tongue and take steps to ensure that a scandal like this would never again be able to take place. That's how a person in good faith would act, right? Redress the scandal, seek to make reparation, apologize, and amend his life. But instead of guarding his modernist mouth, Bregolia lets it speak freely and at length, saying whatever comes to his mind. As if, as the Pope of the Catholic Church, which he claims to be, obviously, As if, as the Pope, he had no obligation to ensure that he watches what he says in public more than anyone else on earth. All Catholics have a duty to be careful with what we say in public. That's just general good morals, right? Think before you speak. why do you think it takes so long for Tradcast to be produced, okay? Because I don't just say what comes to my mind, but I write it down first and ensure it's correct, it's orthodox, it's charitable. Yes, charitable. I think I hear some people snickering in front of their computers right now. Look, real charity and being nice are two completely different things. And we got a post on that too, by the way. So uh, it's actually from our Year of Condemnation series. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll throw that into the show notes as well. So uh, anyway, of course Francis isn't done yet. He's got more tricks in his bag for all those who, despite everything – still can't manage to have their adultery declared holy through a phony annulment. Yep, for such people, Francis now offers an alternate option in his exhortation, Amoris Laetitia. Don't you worry, just keep doing what you're doing, nobody's perfect, and so what used to be a mortal sin is now simply an imperfect participation in holiness. You just do the best you can in your current situation, and don't worry about the rest. It's all good. Well, that is essentially what he says in Amoris Letizia. And if you want all the details on that, uh, be sure to listen to our Tradcast episode 13 at tradcast.org. It's the Amoris Letizia Super Show, where we spend two and a half hours talking about only that. It's great penance. But, of course, Francis has already moved even beyond Amoris Letizia now and conveniently developed that doctrine in a jiffy by simply declaring that repeated fornication with one and the same person exclusively is a real marriage. I mean, this is so dumb and outrageous, you can't make this stuff up. And please don't tell me that this needs a refutation, Okay because it doesn't. If you want to tell me that I need to prove Francis wrong on that, I think you've tuned into the wrong program. Try Catholic Answers. Comedy hour with Jimmy Akin or something. I don't know. Speaking of comedy, look, see how foolish Francis' thesis is. He just said, That he thinks a portion of all marriages are invalid because people don't know about or understand that it's for life, and so there is no marriage. Right? That's what he said. Then, a few sentences later, he claims that if people who have not taken the marriage vow, meaning people who have not vowed to remain together until death do them part, have a real marriage, and marital grace because of their repeated acts of fornication that they engage in exclusively with the same partner. That's Francis for you. I mean, a genius he ain't. You know, I'm reminded here of something that St. Paul the Apostle wrote to the Hebrews while inspired by the Holy Ghost. You can find it in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, quote, Fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Unquote. Francis says, mm. uh, Actually, on fornicators and adulterers, God will bestow the graces of marriage if they only commit these sins with one and the same person because that's fidelity. Why the Swiss guards haven't kicked this blathering fool out of the Vatican yet is beyond me. But of course, Francis's tripe isn't just stupid. What is much worse is, it's blasphemous. This guy is a real blasphemer, and he's shown it again and again. This marriage stuff is just the latest episode of a never-ending waterfall of blasphemies and heresies. We're at the point now where the Pope claims that God blesses mortal sin. It is Unbelievable. Woe to you that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter, says Isaiah the prophet in chapter 5, verse 20. And in the book of the Apocalypse, we read, And he opened his mouth unto blasphemies against God, to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, and them that dwell in heaven, unquote. And that's Apocalypse 13, 6. Tradcast. Now let's uh, look at some of the many, many reactions to Francis's blasphemies and heresies about holy matrimony and sins against purity. First, we've got to start with Mark Shea. Okay, Mark Shea. If you don't know who he is, consider yourself lucky. But, uh, Mark Shea has the gift of infallibility in reverse, okay? It never fails. He always finds a way to come down on the wrong side of an issue. I don't know how he does it. The only exception that I'm aware of is that he's actually pro-life, okay? He's against abortion. But even there, he finds a way to put the wrong emphasis on something. You may remember that when the Planned Parenthood scandal broke last summer where it was revealed through secretly taped undercover video footage that the abortion provider was harvesting and selling the organs of the babies they were killing. Mark Shea, of course, agreed that that was ghastly and horrible, but then got all bent out of shape over the fact that the pro-lifer who did the undercover videos had lied to Planned Parenthood about his true intentions. Yeah, that, that was a big topic uh, on the radio show that Mark Shea did then. Anyway, we covered that whole thing in our Tradcast number 7 in August of 2015. And if you want to listen to that, you can. It's uh, available at tradcast.org. So anyway, Mark Shea, of course, also had something to say about Francis and what he called the right-wing marriage argle-bargle, okay? By right-wing, Shea means people that don't think Francis is the greatest thing to happen to the church since the Holy Ghost descended on Pentecost Sunday, okay? Here is what Shea says, quote, I find the whole thing ridiculous. Francis' observation that most marriages are probably invalid is, as is typical for him, the observation of a pastor on pastoral reality. What amazed me was that anybody doubts it, much less has a cow about. We have a 50% divorce rate. We have people entering into marriages constantly for the most fluff-brained and immature reasons. We have a population that believes that gay marriage is a marriage. How much more obvious can it be that vast numbers of people have not the slightest idea what marriage is, what its purpose and meaning is, and why they are getting married? Unquote. Yeah, gee, Mark Shea, I wonder what part the Vatican II sect played in making sure that people would have a completely messed up understanding of marriage these days. Paul VI fired up the annulment factory decades ago, and Francis just hit the turbo-accelerator button. To complain now about the supposed pastoral reality is hypocritical to the nth degree. Besides, you know who also has a really messed up view of what a marriage is? Francis. Okay? He believes that repeatedly fornicating with one and the same person Equals a marriage. That's how bad it is. Yeah, so I think we know what entity is to a large part responsible for that pastoral reality. It's the same entity that is now claiming to have the solution. Unbelievable. So, as usual, Shea opened his big mouth, but once you start digging a little, you realize it's all hot air, okay? He does not give you Catholicism. As we saw earlier, Catholic teaching does not require that you pass a quiz on what marriage is before you can marry validly. In fact, let me quote Father Aranach again. Quote, Error as to the essential object of the contract vitiates the consent, like ignorance. Error as to the essential properties does not as long as it remains simply an error of the mind, whether antecedent or concomitant. Thus, a man who intends to form a real contract of marriage, although he does not believe in its indissolubility or sacredness, will be married validly, provided he does not exclude those properties by a positive act of the will, even though he would exclude them if he thought of it." Let me translate that into a bit easier to understand language. What this means is that if you have no idea what consent you are giving and receiving in the marriage vow, then it is invalid, okay? Then it's not a real marriage. So if you think that marital consent is about letting your sweetheart use your kitchen whenever she likes and you get to use hers, if you think that's what a marriage is and that's what you're consenting to, then your marriage is definitely invalid, Okay? Although you'd have to prove that in order to get an annulment. If, on the other hand, you know that marital consent pertains to the use of the other's bodily functions that by nature generate offspring, and you consent to that, then it's a valid marriage. And it doesn't matter if you don't know it's indissoluble as long as you don't make an act of the will at that very time, that you do not intend to enter this union if it is indissoluble. And that, too, would have to be proved, of course, before an annulment could be granted. But even if you would not want to enter a union that's indissoluble if you thought of it, but you don't actually think of it at the time of the exchange of the marriage vow, then it's still valid that's what Father Aranac is saying, and that is the Catholic position, according to her doctrine and canon law. And it also agrees with common sense, that something so natural, so necessary for the survival of the human race as marriage, would be very easy to contract and not require special knowledge in sacred theology or in philosophy to make it valid. But, For Mark Shea, of course, this is just the right-wing panic machine that doesn't have a clue about what real Catholicism is, like he does. All right, enough of Mark Shea. Let's go to the blog Non Veni Pacem. That's Latin, and it means, I did not come for peace, from our Lord's words in Matthew 10.34. They put up a nice post entitled, Dear transcript gators, you forgot to delete the heresy. This is in reference to Francis' damage control about whether he meant most marriages today are invalid or only some because of the indissolubility issue. The blogger points out that the much bigger issue in Francis' words was not the indissolubility thing, but his claim that continual fornication with one and the same person is a marriage. So, uh that's a good post from nonveni pacem, and we've got that for you in the show notes. Then let's go to uh, Damien Thompson's contribution at the British news site The Spectator. The headline is, Pope Francis says most marriages today are invalid. This is a disaster for the Catholic Church. Thompson writes, quote, The Pope, thinking aloud in the manner of some maverick parish priest after a couple of glasses of wine at dinner, has just told millions of his flock that they are not really married." Yep, the problem is just that uh, Francis says these things when he's sober. Okay, But, uh, hey, nice to see that Thompson now agrees that Francis is a disaster, as we've said from the beginning when most other people, including Thompson, were asleep at the wheel. Next, oh yeah, Jimmy Aiken. We couldn't possibly skip over him. He of course, published 11 things to know and tread. Uh, share, excuse me. Now the funny thing is, and I think this is a first for him, Uh, The funny thing is that in in all these 11 things, he doesn't even really try to exonerate Francis. He basically doesn't have an answer. He says that what Francis said is a staggering claim and not supported by anyone or anything he knows of. And uh, we may suppose that Francis didn't really mean it. That's, That's basically Aiken's response. So, folks, let me tell you. One thing's for sure. Things are really, really bad when even Aiken gives up. All right? So now, there's one thing from Aiken's post though that i that I really want to quote. He says the following quote, Experience has shown that Pope Francis is a man who makes dramatic and inexact statements, particularly when speaking off the cuff. This is related to his make-a-mess philosophy, according to which it is better to get people's attention and shake things up rather than let the church slide into cultural irrelevance. Now, unquote, this is vintage Aiken. Okay? Vintage Aiken BS. Because think about this for a minute. It's better to get people's attention and shake things up than to become irrelevant? Well, you know, it all depends on how you get people's attention and what kind of shakeup you're causing. A wise man once said that it's better to keep your mouth shut and perhaps appear stupid than to open it and remove all doubt. The truth is that what Francis' Make a Mess philosophy has accomplished is that no one takes him or his church seriously, and that is the ultimate irrelevance. Anyway, Akin's posts are always good for a laugh, and my personal favorite thing to do there is always to read the comments in the comment box, okay? because a lot of people have caught on and are starting to tell Akin to basically get a new job. All right, then, at The Week, columnist Michael Brenton Dougherty wrote a piece called Forgive Pope Francis for His Sins Against Reason. He says, quote, Pope Francis has a problem. He believes he heads a religious organization so inept and impotent it cannot even marry its own members reliably. Unquote. Yeah? Well, you know, make a mess, right? And then comes the generous, super-merciful marriage terminator to clean it up by dishing out annulments and ruining families. Uh, Dougherty then tries to use the argument that Francis isn't the first pope to deny the faith, but it, it's just hot air. He doesn't even try to provide any documentation, so uh, we can just skip over that. But, hey, nice try. right? Then the remnant... Chris Ferreira, the retired attorney who is the Remnant's chief rhetorician, published a feature article entitled The Rise and Fall of Pope Francis, which I think is a really puzzling headline because Francis hasn't fallen yet, so I'm not sure what that fall is about, but... Um, as usual, Ferrara makes many excellent points against Bergoglio, and I really like how he put it when he said that Francis seems to think of cohabitation as a kind of marriage preparation. Because that's exactly what he thinks. And Ferrara also rightly criticizes Francis for his ridiculous statement that frowning on cohabitation and telling fornicators that they need to get married is sticking our noses into people's moral lives. Yeah, that's what Francis said. Well, actually, it's a spiritual work of mercy called admonishing the sinner. But Francis, of course, doesn't give a hoot about the spiritual works of mercy because he doesn't care about souls. He only cares about bodies, you know, soup kitchens, etc. But All this was actually quite foreseeable because Bergoglio, of course, had a public record in Buenos Aires before he was elected, a record we pointed out from the very beginning, by the way, while people like Chris Ferreira were still trying to spin Francis into an orthodox holy father. So, for example, on April 21st, 2013, about five weeks after his election as Pope, We published a blog post on the book On Heaven and Earth that Bergoglio had co-authored together with his friend Abraham Skorka, who is a Jewish rabbi. And in this book, Bergoglio says that a priest in the confessional who tells the penitent that he must do this or that is guilty of spiritual harassment. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. Here, let me, let me give you the exact quote uh, from this book on heaven and earth. This is from page 114 of the English edition. Here is what Bergoglio says, quote, Religion has a right to give an opinion as long as it is in service to the people. If someone asks my advice, I have the right to give it to them. The religious minister at times draws attention to certain points of private or public life because he is the parishioner's guide. However, he does not have the right to force anything on anyone's private life. If God in creation ran the risk of making us free, who am I to get involved? We condemn spiritual harassment that takes place when a minister imposes directives, conduct, and demands in such a way that it takes away the freedom of the other person. God left the freedom to sin in our hands. One has to speak very clearly about values, limits, commandments, but spiritual and pastoral harassment is not allowed." So, see? See? The priest has no right to tell the penitent that he has to stop sinning. He can only give suggestions, opinions, you know, a company. And this this blather is exactly what we now see with Bergoglio as Pope, so called. Well, we saw it coming. We pointed this stuff out from the very beginning. What was Ferreira doing then? He was busy carrying the water for Father Gruner, who needed to have high hopes for the new pope. And so, for example, in the spring 2013 issue of the Fatima Crusader, uh, page 2, Ferrera was denouncing those who, after a few days, were, quote, already publicly rending their cyber garments and pronouncing the new pope anathema, unquote. Well, who was right, Counselor? There was nothing rash about it because we went by objective manifest evidence that was publicly available. Ferrera wasted roughly six months before he finally turned on Francis because he realized that defending the guy was just no longer sustainable. These are not people who go by objective evidence and Catholic principles no matter what the consequences. These are people who go by emotion, wishful thinking, and expediency. And, you know, if they all just kept it to themselves, it wouldn't nearly be as bad. But they've set themselves up as the de facto leaders of traditional Catholicism, influencing I don't know how many thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of people. That is the problem. And so... Again, Ferreira's piece on the rise and fall of Francis is right on the money as far as the critique of the Bergoglian errors goes. But Ferrara is simply incorrigible in his belief that Francis is the Roman pontiff. I mean, at this point, the evidence is so clear that even a lawyer from Virginia should be able to see it. But of course, there are none so blind as those who refuse to see. And, you know, if it, if it only were a side issue, an insignificant thing, then we could just let it go. But that's not the case. Whether someone can be a public heretic, or in this case apostate, and still validly occupy the office of Roman pontiff, is an issue of the greatest importance, since the Roman pontiff is the universal teacher of all Christians, the cornerstone of unity for Christ's flock and the vicar of Christ, to whom all must submit with their intellect and will under pain of eternal damnation." It would be good for Mr. Ferreira to review some traditional Catholic teaching on the papacy here, since he always claims to be so traditionally Catholic. For example, in his celebrated encyclical letter Quanta Cura, Pope Pius IX teaches this, quote, Nor can we pass over in silence the audacity of those who, not enduring sound doctrine, contend that without sin and without any sacrifice of the Catholic profession, assent and obedience may be refused to those judgments and decrees of the apostolic see, whose object is declared to concern the Church's general good and her rights and discipline, so only it does not touch the dogmata of faith and morals." But no one can be found not clearly and distinctly to see and understand how grievously this is opposed to the Catholic dogma of the full power given from God by Christ our Lord himself to the Roman pontiff of feeding, ruling, and guiding the universal church. I'm sorry, Mr. Ferreira, but if you're going to be a traditional Catholic... Maybe you'll want to accept traditional Catholic teaching sometime, and not just when it suits you, but at all times. Otherwise, you've lost the right to complain about Francis, because then you're both contradicting Catholic teaching. Towards the end of his piece, Ferreira says this, quote, At this point, it is clear, Bergoglio has repeatedly proven himself unable to lead and is doing incalculable damage to the Church that will take decades to heal. Pope Francis should resign and Catholics should demand it so the Church can begin recovering from the havoc his ill-advised and arrogant papacy has wrought. No, Counselor, this is not something that will take decades to heal. If the Vatican II sect actually were the Catholic Church and Francis, the true Pope, then this would bury her. Because a church that teaches one thing and then the exact opposite and then later the original thing again is not credible. No reasonable man could consider such an institution the Church of Jesus Christ. See, that is the real problem that your position has, Mr. Ferreira. And not some sort of, ooh, it's going to take decades to recover from this. Uh Uh-uh. If Francis is Pope, it's over. Really, to still consider Francis the Pope of the Catholic Church, realizing what this even means, is to engage in a willful suspension of disbelief. But then again, in so many people, it is precisely the will that is the problem, certainly not a lack of evidence. So, to summarize it and put it succinctly, here's the one thing you need to remember about the difference between the recognize and resist position of the semi-traditionalists, like the Society of St. Pius X, the Remnant, and all those people, and the Sedevacanist position, on the other hand. Here's the difference. For the Resisters, the Pope is the problem. For the sedevacantists, the Pope is the solution. Now guess which one of these two ideas is compatible with traditional Catholic doctrine? <coughs> All right, we're going to wrap it up here because otherwise this show will never be released, okay? In the next Tratcast, barring unforeseen circumstances, we will talk exclusively about the John Salza interview on the Eric Gajewski Trat Night program from last October. We'll just continue our critique that we started some months ago. It's something I'd meant to finish a long time ago, but you know how it is. Francis just keeps everybody way too busy. So, for Troutcast 15, the plan is to continue with and hopefully finish our dissection and refutation of the nonsense spouted by Salza against Sedevacantism. All right. Also, have a listen to the great sermon of Father German Fleece against opinionism. We have it linked in our show notes. It's a brief explanation. Um, I think the sermon is about 20 minutes or so. It's an easy-to-understand explanation for why the question of whether the Vatican II popes are real popes or imposters cannot be a matter of opinion, but is an absolutely crucial question that has implications for the faith And our entire understanding of the Catholic Church. So I very much encourage you to listen to that sermon by Father German Fleece. And uh, last thing for today, there were a number of requests for a transcript of our Tratcast episode 13. That was uh, the Amoris Letizia Super Show. And uh, that transcript is now available for you to download, okay? For free, of course. It's a whopping 29 pages in length. But uh, that's because it was a a two-and-a-half-hour show, all right? So, ah, there's the music playing. You know what that means. It's time to go. Thank you for listening. As always, Tradcast is and will remain free of charge. We only ask that you not keep it a secret, all right? Tell others about it, and you've got to admit, even if you don't agree with everything said here, it's a really informative program, no? No? Well, then why did you listen all the way to the end? (laughs) Gotcha. All right. Until next time, God bless you.